before we get started this evening, I want you guys to do something. I want you to grab a pen or uh, and paper or your phone, whatever it is, and I want you to write in your notes. And I want you to write down three things that have not been so victorious in your life. Let's put it like that. That you want to gain victory over. Something that you're wanting to bring to pass in your life that you need to see the victory in. Three things. I want to overcome in this area. I want to see victory in this area. I've been battling or dealing with this for, for a while, and I, I want to see these things overcome. You get that? Get them down close. Get two and a half. Okay. All right. Well, if you think of something else while we're going through this, then you can just jot it down. But I want to talk this evening about how to gain the victory. How to gain the victory. And I want to start this evening in th Mark 3.27. And it says, I'll just go ahead and read the, the whole bit there so that you understand exactly what's going on. But let's go back at, at uh, verse 23. And it says, So Jesus called them and, and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. So I want to stop there. Let me, let me read that, that same verse again, verse 27. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. And, you know, we know the, the scripture says not to give the devil a foothold. And, of course, even right before that particular passage, the scripture is dealing with not letting the sun go down upon your wrath. And showing that when we do that, when we allow uh, wrath or anger or malice or anything in our heart, and then we go to bed with that, we sleep with that, it's like there's, there's roots that begin to grow. Now, we don't see those things happening, but how many of you, myself included, have ever gone to bed mad before, and in the morning, especially with marriages, <laughs> we've got some honest people in here tonight, um, Especially with marriages, and then you wake up, and then you know that you were mad about something, but I don't remember exactly what I was mad about, but by golly, I'm staying mad 
till we get this figured out. And it's because that's a seed of, of a spirit that has planted something in your heart and then it's been festering and you you leave it there and that's why that's why God tells us not to let the sun go down upon our wrath and not to give the devil a foothold because that foothold that toehold that little bit of I'm just gonna I'm just gonna you know like a, a kid that's being a little bit defiant and say, you say don't cross this line and they they just put their toe right there you know just enough to just to be a little bit disobedient you know and and the enemy likes to do that just enough that you can't tell or it's not real real obvious oh what what's it going to hurt what's it going to hurt me harboring this for a little bit or me uh holding this in my heart for a little bit and the Bible says, do not give the enemy a foothold because he means it. He means it. He's not saying, well, you know, when you think it's best or, you know, when you don't think it's going to do any harm, then, then go ahead. It's okay. But he truly means it because he's looking out for ourselves. He's looking for, out for our best. And before I really get into this much more, I, I want to I tell you a little bit of a story. And... It's um, about a family member of mine, so hopefully they're not watching. But <laughs> years ago, I was, I was probably like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12. And at the time, I was staying at my grandma's house. And um, this particular person, she was four years older than me. And, and we were close growing up, but she was getting to that age where, you know, uh, getting to start noticing boys and things like that. Well... She lived way out in the country. And uh, so anyway, she and this guy had talked a little bit, and then they decided, I'm going to sneak out tonight at 1 o'clock, and we'll meet, okay? And she tells me about it. And, of course, I'm like, you know, wow, you know, are you sure that's a good idea? I'm like 10 or 12, you know? So anyways, she ends up falling asleep, and so she's, she's asleep. She misses the appointment. This idiot, no joke, decides he's not going to just leave. He climbs up because my grandparents, you, you guys old-timers know the old antennas that, that you would, the tri-figured tri antennas that you could climb up and then the, the main antennas at the top that you have to go out and crank to get it to, you know, turn. One of those. Well, you could climb up that and get on the roof and, and be on the second story of the house, which is where her, her bedroom was down the hall. And so this idiot climbs the tower and gets on the roof at one in the morning and next thing I know I'm hearing my because we both were asleep my grandma is yelling and we get out of bed and she's standing in that bedroom with a shotgun and, and you gotta know my grandma like she's she was before Zane and High Lama left, they went to go visit her, and when they got there, she, they said she was, Mom, she was out in the yard at 7 a.m. in the morning with a shotgun trying to kill rabbits because they were getting in her garden. I'm like, yeah, that's what she does. And so anyway, she had this shotgun, and she's like pointing it at this guy because she has no idea who it is, why he's there. As far as she's concerned, he's breaking in. And so, obviously, that relationship did not work out. But, <laughs> but it, it was a lesson learned to that guy not to come prowling around and trying to get into people's homes. But the thing is, that window would have never been able to be opened if it was locked. 
And sometimes in life, sometimes uh, with the things that we do, we can leave a door open or a window unlocked and the enemy can find a way in. And the sad part about it is sometimes we even do it on purpose because we can sometimes cuddle that thing because it's, it's something that we want to make sure that it's there for backup. So let's get into this tonight, but I just kind of wanted you to keep that image in your mind because the enemy does prowl around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And if he is seeking, that means he's checking the windows. He's checking the doors. He's seeing where he can get in. It's not going to be just as blatant as uh, a demon coming to your front door and going, hey, I just thought I would try to come in and see if you have any room for me tonight. He's not going to be standing there with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. He will come through a way that won't seem so obvious. And many times it's through, believe it or not, a friend. Someone that's not necessarily living the word of God. And they could speak things into your life that are not according to the word of God. A thought. Uh, it could come in the form of um, situations that happen. And then you develop a philosophy in life because you have lived in that situation. And by golly, I lived that and that's my experience. And therefore, that's what I believe. You know, it's it's. Yeah, I know the word of God says this, but in my, in my life, this is what I've experienced. And so we'll believe the experience over what the word of God says. So we sometimes get accustomed to that, that flaw, that wrong thinking, that anger, that whatever it may be. It could be a, a multitude of different things. But we get accustomed to that. And then we say, you know what? I'm just going to put a, a couch over here and a, a little pillow, and you stay right there, and you're welcome to stay in this little corner. Just don't flare up too much, okay? As long as it's kept under control, we're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And we'll, we'll just kind of coddle it. And the thing is, we have to get a hatred for the things of the enemy. And the reason I had you write three things down was because there's something standing in the way of those three things. And many times it's a perspective, it's a, an attitude of the heart, it could be a spirit that is allowed to stay in your, your life, in your uh, heart or your understanding, and it's influencing you. So we, we got to look at it, and because we can pray up and down till you know, the cows come home. God, give me this. Lord, change me, change me, change me. And the thing is, I mean, we'll even sing songs about change me, Lord. Change my heart. Make it ever pure. Make me clean. Make me like you. But then the thing is, we don't do anything that's required to make the change. So we have to, we have to stop and look at ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I realize it's going to require something from me. Is the heat a little hot or is it me? You guys comfortable? If you're comfortable, you're good. Don't worry about it. Hmm? It's a little hot? Okay. You want to turn that down a degree or two? <laughs> See, the thing is, even in Matthew 20 or Matthew 12, 44, it talks about when a, when a demon is cast out. And it says he goes into the arid places, and then he comes back, and he finds 
the, the home of the person, the heart, and it's swept clean. But if it's empty, then he does what? He goes out, finds seven more, and bites them in. Hey, guys, I got this, this place we can come stay. It's empty. What does that mean? It means even though that, that we can find ourselves in a place where maybe we found the victory at the beginning, but it's like, man, why is this thing still lingering? Why is this thing still staying in my life? And many times it's, it's because we haven't learned how to have complete victory in that. Even when we get saved, sometimes those things, it's, it's like it falls off, but then later we find ourselves dealing with this, this stuff again. And we're like, what's going on? And it's because we, if it's swept clean, Jesus came in, cleaned me up, but I didn't give him complete occupancy in every room of my house. Think about that. Because, see, what we like to do sometimes is we'll sweep it clean like we do when people come over, right? I got unexpected company today. A couple friends stopped by and, and visited from Ritchie County, and it wasn't expected. I'm like, hey, guys, come in. Going to have to excuse the house. <laughs> We're in the middle of packing and stuff. But, and, and they come in and everything, and, you know, there was no time, no time to prep for that because it was unexpected, which is fine. But many times, that's what we're doing. We're cleaning things up. But then we'll go over here and we'll put, oh, see, see, I've got, I've got this picture here. And it says love on it. And it, it, you know, that means that we love here. And then I've got over here this, this blanket. And I throw it over the couch and it says peace. And it's even got the definition of peace. And it's got some hearts. And uh, oh, look, a dove, the Holy Spirit. And then over here, we've got you know, something else. And we've got this in the kitchen. And, and we decorate these things. But they're representations. But they're not necessarily being operated in our life. We like to decorate with something that represents, oh, I wear my cross necklace, I put my love uh, driver's license on the front of my car or my fish sticker, whatever it is. But it's like the concept of those things, have they taken root in our life and kicked the other thing out? See, that's the thing. Once it's kicked out, something else has got to take its place. Because if you uproot something, but don't plant anything there, what takes over? Weeds. That's right. So if nothing is planted in its place, then the inevitable happens. The enemy comes back and moves in. So we, we, have, to, we have to realize that. We have to war against that. We have to make sure that we're cleaning it up, but then we are planting in its place the thing that needs to be planted. So let's go. I want to go through this a little bit in detail. But let's read one more scripture first. One more scripture. In Mark 10, 46. Mark 10, 46. And this is about blind Bartimaeus. And it says, and then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, 
Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now, I want you to get this because he's sitting there. He's in a position he's been in uh, for years, and, and he's, this has been his life. It's not like he just found himself in this. This has been his life, and the cloak has been, it's, a, it's an object that, that the governing officials would give those that were lame, those that were uh, disabled, uh, a cloak to show that they have the right to beg. And so this is kind of his identity, really. This is his identification that I'm allowed to beg for bread. I'm allowed to beg for money. And, but the thing is, he believed in Jesus. He believed in Jesus. And so he hears Jesus is coming. So he begins to cry out. He can't even see him. He can't see him. But Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And as soon as he hears the disciples finally say, cheer up, he's called you, he takes that cloak off and casts it, throws it to the side, and, and takes off after Jesus being led or whatever. But the thing is, he, he takes this off. Why, is, why, did, why did they put that in there? Because it's so important. He was saying, I am not going to stay here. I am going to go receive my victory. I'm going to go receive my healing. But i got to take off this identity that I've been wearing. I've got to take off this crutch. I've got to take off this perspective that I'm a beggar. I've got to take off the perspective that I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this place. Instead, I have a different vision. I have a vision that I'm going to be able to see. I have a a vision that I'm going to get a job. I have a vision that I'm going to be somebody. And Jesus is the answer to that. So that casting off, that throwing off is a choice that he made before he even went and got the answer. He didn't say, well, you know what? Probably better keep this just in case. How many times do we do that? Probably better keep a hold of this just in case it doesn't work out. And so we're, we're, or we'll say, oh, you know, will you come with me? Hold, hold my coat for me, okay? And, and we'll see what we're going to do with it here in a little bit. Hold my coat, friend. So, so many times we're holding on to this, but reaching for this. And the thing is, time and time again, I've seen God work in great measures when we let go of this and reach for him full faith. It's more rare that I see him work holding on to this and reaching for this because that's unbelief. It's a lack of faith when we're doing that. So Bartimaeus had it right. He knew to cast that off. So that's, it's the same thing in our lives. We've got to realize, like, I've got to cast off the perspective. I've got to cast off the opposite thing. Does this get hard? Yeah, it does. I'm going to be real. It does. Because there are things in life that have been ingrained in us. It's almost, it's almost become like our personality. But it's not. That's the thing. It's a spirit. 
It's not our personality, but we have gained it as our personality because we've lived with it for so long that it becomes part of our identity. And it's hard for us to decipher that this, this issue here of spitefulness or anger or this issue here of, of me always wanting to get my way, this issue here of me having a poverty mindset, this issue here of, of I'm never going to be healed, it's a, it's a spirit that's blinding me from seeing the victory and I've got to cast it off. And so that's the first thing is casting off the wrong mentality or the wrong thing. And so even tonight as you're looking at your three things, that's why I wanted you to write them down because I don't want this to be another sermon that you just hear and then go, that was good. And, and yeah, and then I go home and I don't do anything with it. So it, we have to look at what we're dealing. What am I praying with? What's, what's on my prayer list right now? Have, am I hindering that thing from being answered because of how I'm seeing it, because of my perspective, or because I'm not fulfilling the requirements that God's asking me to fulfill? You know, I was listening to the message that, uh, of the evangelist speaker, um, evangelist Nathan Morris, when he was on Maui last night, and he made an interesting comment, and he said, you know, the, the questions that God asks you sometimes, like when he asked the, the one blind man, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want my sight. Because, and that's why many times when people come up for prayer, we ask, how do you want me to pray? I got to know where your faith is at. I got to know what you're believing for, because if, if you're if if I'm trying to pray for you up here, but you don't even have the faith in agreement for that, then it's going to it's going to affect the prayers. If you're like, oh, well, yeah, I hear her praying, but that's not I know that's not going to happen. So he says, what do you want me to do for you? And that's why time and time again, he would say it's be it done according to your faith. Right. So these things, we have to, we have to see them as, as an enemy. For instance, Lord, I want more joy in my life. I want more joy. I want more joy in my house. Well, if you want more joy in your house, what's the enemy of that? There can be quite a few. Well, depression is definitely an enemy. Anger is going to be an enemy. Hmm? Fear, yeah, fear will keep you from being joyful. Absolutely. There can be many different things that are an enemy to joy, and you gotta, you got to realize, okay, I want joy. What is it that's standing in my way? Why I, what's blocking me from receiving that? Because only you can answer that. For one person, it may be depression. For another person, it may not be that at all. It might be fear. It may be comparison. It may be, uh, you know, I've got an anger issue, and so I have a hard time, you know, or I'm just stressed all the time. I don't know how to be happy. I don't know how to be joyful. So in order to break through that thing, you got to realize what your enemy is. you got to realize what it is that I've kind of maybe set a little couch over here on the side for and let it dwell there. And, well, this is just who I am. My, my dad was this way, and I'm this way. We're just kind of a mad family. You know, we just we, we have hot tempers, and we just go off like that. That's not your identity. That's something you got to realize that's my enemy, not my identity. 
That's my enemy. In Hawaii, you know, there's, there's certain bugs. <laughs> there's lots and lots of bugs. And there are a few that the, you know, the locals look at as an enemy. And the centipede is one of them. <laughs> and they go to great lengths to kill the centipede because they're, they get very big and they're nasty. They're long, they sting, they bite, and then it, it swells up, it injects poison. And they like, to, they like uh, comforting places. They like to get in your laundry. They like to get in your bed, under the covers with you. And, and this is a lot of times where you find them hiding. And so Zephan's been uh, stung by one. And uh, when, when you realize that, that you got a centipede, guess what? The whole house goes on hunt for the centipede. It's in, in his case, it was in the middle of the night. The kids had already gone to bed. And next thing we know, about an hour later, Brad and I are up talking, and, and we hear him whimpering in the, in the bedroom. And he's like, no. And then he stops, no. And we get up, we go in there, and it's like he's laid back down, but then he's uncomfortable. And we realize that there's a centipede in his bed. Of course, he, he was asleep, so you know he's like half in, half out. But he keeps getting bit by the thing because he keeps laying down on it. Well, when we realized what it was, Guess what? He gets out of bed. We're ripping covers off. Those things are fast, aren't they? And so that thing's, and it goes under the mattress. Well, we tear the whole bedroom apart looking for the centipede. because, And it had gone under the mattress, and it had, it had clung to the bottom of the mattress. But, you know, we're like throwing clothes. We're, we're trying to get everything, you know, out of the way. Same thing with cane, cane spiders. I hate cane spiders. They're big, and they jump, and they're, and they're just, they're nasty. But some people might look at that and say, oh, but they, they catch flies. Or a snake. Some of you might not like snakes. Oh, but they catch mice. What happens when we have that attitude? Oh, but they catch mice. So just, just leave it be. You know, it'll be good. My, my philosophy is kill the snake and get a rat trap or a mouse trap. Kill the mice too. Get rid of both. Like, don't keep one to get rid of the other. But that's oftentimes how we treat the enemy. Oh, but it, but it, it, it comforts me. It gives me a sense of security. Now, this is real stuff. Because this is what happens. If someone is dealing, let me go through a, a few things. For instance, this is what keeps people from keeping their passengers. I'm referring to those spirits we were talking about because it gives them a false sense of comfort. For instance, someone might want love and security in their home, but... They might keep it, they might keep that spirit of anger, manipulation, whatever, control, because it's a defense mechanism. It protects me. It protects myself. Because if that person hurts me, and I open myself up, and I'm vulnerable, then if they come back at me and they hurt me, I don't want that to happen. I've been hurt. They've hurt me before. I've been hurt in other situations. I'm not going to do that. So I keep myself closed up. I keep a defensiveness about me. So now I'm not giving my, that person my all. I'm not giving them my whole heart. I'm not giving them all of my love. I'm not giving them a sense of security in this home because I'm going to make sure I'm taken care of. I'm going to make sure I'm protected. You get what I'm saying? So it becomes a, a source of 
comfort to me. Another one, what if somebody likes the sympathy that they're getting because of their condition, even though they say, I want to overcome this? I want to be an overcomer. Hallelujah. We are made more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We are, co- we are overcomers. And they can say that as much as they want, but deep down, they like the pity that they get because of the situation. They like the sympathy. Where they don't want to change something about themselves that requires them to be the overcomer. Uh, but that's going to require me to do this. That's going to require me to make some changes in my life in order to overcome that situation. You follow? Minister Mara follows. Thank you. Here's another example. Lack of faith. We talked not too long ago about that. Unbelief. Jesus said, this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. But he kept talking to them about their unbelief. It's because your unbelief, your unbelief. And what did the one guy say to him? He said, help my unbelief. The parents said, help my unbelief. Lack of, lack of faith. This is bigger than what you would think it would be because a lot of people don't want to take the time to find in the word what applies to their situation and begin to confess it. Why? Because it takes work. It takes time. It truly does. It takes time to sit down and say, Okay, I'm going to dig into the scriptures. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look up some scriptures. I'm going to look up some verses, and I'm going to pick some out that, that I'm going to begin to proclaim over my situation. It takes time and dedication. And a lot of times, people just, pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Because that's easier than someone digging in and finding their answer in the word. But here's the problem. It's the same thing like uh, you can teach a man to fish. And he'll have fish all his life, or you can give him one, and he's fed for one dinner. And I, my passion is to have a church that is equipped. I want our people to be equipped. I want you to know exactly what to do and how to do it when the situation arises. Not that I mind praying for people. I don't at all. But there is a season of time that we grow and we learn and and we stretch ourselves and we expand in our faith so that we don't have to find somebody in that that particular area to pray for us because, well, now I'm dealing with this situation and now I need somebody to pray for me because I've spoken all this trash out of my mouth concerning it for how many ever years and now this thing's come upon me. And now I need somebody to pray it out. I would rather you understand that your words give life and death. I would rather you know and understand how to stand on the word of God and to proclaim victory over your life. That's you with an arsenal. I want you to, to have that, or I want you to have that flamethrower, have that spear, and have that, what are those things? There's stars. Ninja stars. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know how much that would get done. Here's another one. We'll even, we'll even keep friendships that we know we shouldn't keep because we would rather have that friendship than be alone. But that friendship does nothing but tear our spiritual life down. It drains us. I'm not talking about ministering to somebody. There's a difference. There are people that will drain you of your spiritual walk. Or they'll lead you down paths of temptation 
and it's not worth it. And the thing is, and girls will do this a lot with companionship with men when they're young, you know? And, and they'll be, oh, I'd just rather have a boyfriend than I would be alone. Because the, 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 but what's the problem? They're empty in a certain place in their life. That's what's going on. They haven't found themselves in Christ, and they haven't filled that with Christ. So there's this desire for someone else to fill that. Let me give you an example since I'm on that topic. When Pastor Brad and I got married for the first, I don't know, three, four years, something like that, I depended upon him a lot to fulfill my emotional needs. And so if he didn't read my mind, like, why couldn't he do that, you know? And, of course, women do that. They'll get married. Why can't he read my mind? Why can't he just know what I, what I want? And men are, like, on the <laughs> way over on this other end of the spectrum. Like, that's not, that's not their strong suit. <laughs> They're going to have a hard time even... Uh, uh, interpreting your facial expression, let alone what's in your head. So in this moment of, of why, can't, why can't he figure out, like, what's wrong with me? Why didn't he understand, like, why I'm being quiet? Why didn't he understand that I need this? I want that. And then I finally realized, Marina, that's really unfair. And now I have to change my system. I can't do that. I can't expect him to be responsible for something that he's not sent there to fill. I know people will say marriage is like 50-50, but it takes 100-100 for a marriage to work. Because what if, what if one person is down that day and the other person is down, then what are you going to do? You both got to be working at this and it's got to be 100%. And so I realize that I can't go on this system. I have to be supported by my, my emotional needs, anything in my life, it's got to come from Jesus. And so there was this time period in my life where I had to really, truly get what I was needing from the Lord, which meant I, w I was listening. I had to make a point to do that. Now, at the time that this was happening, could I tell you everything that was going on in me? No, not, not I probably couldn't. I probably couldn't. I probably didn't realize, like, the magnitude of everything that was transforming in my life. But now that I'm looking back at it, I realize, like, I'm glad he did it early on, and I, I didn't carry it for 20 years through the marriage because it, it can be heavy for the other person trying to, to carry that responsibility of always trying to make you happy. So we got to realize that our, even our happiness, our joy comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from situations. Now, that was my situation, but someone else's situation might be different. It might be, if only I have this, if only I have that, if only I have this material possession. And they're always looking for material possessions to fill that, that need. Some people, it might be friendship. They can't even sit down long enough to be by themselves. They've got to constantly be talking to somebody. Somebody's got to be around me all the time. I need people. I need people around me all the time. I can't stand to be by myself. For some, it might be something else. It might be, well, if I only had the right job, if I only had this, if I only had the that, you know, I didn't, I didn't have it well growing up. And, and they're hanging on that one thing from back there, but they could change their course if they would only set their eyes on Jesus if they would only set their eyes on Jesus and say, Lord, you've got to help me fill this void in my life. 
and I've got to get my strength from you. I've got to get these, these needs met from you. That's one example of my own personal experience in life. Let me throw out another one. Some people live with a false sense of peace. And what I mean by that is they don't want to confront anything in their life. If something's going on in their home, their business, whatever it may be, but they don't want to, and, and, and that thing needs to be confronted, but instead of confronting, they'll just enable it. Because I don't want to, I don't want to uh, ripple the waters. I don't want to ruffle the feathers. I don't want to cause a problem. I don't like it when that person gets an attitude with me whenever I say something to them like, uh, no, that, that's not flying in this house. That's not happening in this home. Well, I don't, I don't want little, little, you know, Joey to be upset. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to let him, I'm going to let him have what he wants, even though it's not the best. And so there's this false sense of peace, and then the house is in chaos all the time because every time little Johnny doesn't get what he wants, then he just screams and throws a fit, and then people just give it to him. That's not developing a healthy home. And so there's this sense of, well, I'm just keeping my peace here, but it's a false sense of peace. It's not, it's not a true peace, and it's not true dominionship in your home. So there's things in our life that we can actually enable someone and, and just keep bailing them out of the situation, keep pulling them out of the situation. That could even happen with friendships, where it's a one-sided friendship, and somebody is just constantly take, 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 and you're always investing, investing, investing. And I, again, I'm not talking about a ministry situation. I'm talking about they just want to make bad choices, and they want you to bail them out. And then you don't want to say no because you don't want to Ruffle the wa ripple the waters. You don't want to. You don't want to cause a stink. You don't want to see them have an attitude. Oh, I don't want to lose them as my friend. These things in life are because there's something unhealthy in our perspective, or in our heart. John three six says, "Truly, this is from Jesus. Truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water." and of spirit. Water represents the word, the word of God. He's got to be born of water, of the word, and of the spirit, the Holy Spirit. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. If we are hanging on to the lie, if we're hanging on to the wrong perspective, then we're not operating in the spirit. Because see, the flesh stands in opposition to the spirit, right? The Bible says that the, the, the flesh is in opposition to the spirit. So if we're holding on to that fleshly thought, that carnal thought, well, this is my way of doing things. This is, this is the, the way that I've been taught. This is the way that I'm used to. You know, when I, when I uh, get mad, you know, because I didn't get my way, then I, I cop an attitude. And that's my way of manipulating to get my way. And by golly, that's my safe place. I don't wanna, I don't wanna give that away. But you gotta realize that's the enemy. 
That manipulation and control is the enemy. And I've got to be born of the spirit, not of the flesh. Because those are fleshly things. Those are actually spiritually demonic things. And so we have to realize, like, I've got to kick it out completely. So I can't hold on to it and then try to grow just piece by piece and, and still hold on to this for my protection. I've got to grow in the spirit. I've got to receive what the word of God says. If I read that and, and it says manipulation is, is the same as witchcraft, ow, man, that's pretty, that's pretty big stuff there. I don't want that in my life. I can't do that. My kids learned what manipulation was, what that word meant at a very young age. <laughs> because I would, no, we don't manipulate. You cannot manipulate. What you just did was trying to manipulate him so you could get what you wanted. Because if, that's, if it's that serious, then I have to treat it as such in my home. I will not allow that in my home. And so you teach your children from a young age. Otherwise, these things, because kids are great, at, they learn manipulation at like age one and a half. Like, no joke, it's crazy how they learn to, to do certain things to get their way or to, to manipulate a situation, manipulate mom and dad, manipulate their brothers and sisters or their friends to get what they want. And then it gets rooted, and then they don't even remember. Like, I, I just did that my whole life. What do you mean? What do you mean that's wrong? That's what I do. This is what I do to make things happen for me, so don't get in my way. And then when you find out it's a sin, now you got to work to pull this thing out. But the thing is, you got to now see it as the enemy, not as this little thing that helps you in life. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. i got to kick that thing out. And I mean literally, kick it out. Don't, don't just say, yeah, I'm going to work through this problem. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through this and... You know, God's going to help me. You've got to realize I am not allowing this in my heart. So what do you do? How do you, how do you overcome these things? When you realize, like, oh, this little thing that I've been kind of comforting and, and using it as my stuffed animal, i got to realize, like, that's the thing. i I, I got to put the devil face on that, on that stuffed animal. I can't look at it and say, oh, the cute bunny ears. You know, i got to look at that and say, that's the enemy. That's the devil, and I can't give him a foothold in my life. So first thing, you got to acknowledge it. If you don't acknowledge it, you're not going to get anywhere. If you don't acknowledge it, what does that mean? Humbleness, humility, yes. It means a lot of humility. Because you've, you've got to own up to some things and realize you've been operating in the wrong way. And so the first step, acknowledging it yourself. What are the things in my life that I've been using in my life that I, I've got to kick this out? Because it's actually something that's holding me back. And it's something that's keeping me from the victory that I want. If I want joy that I got to see depression, not as just this thing I have, but I got to see it. That's the enemy. He is trying to hold me back from my future. He is trying to hold me back from the best. He is trying to hold me back from everything that God says is mine. You know why? Joy is huge. Joy is huge. Because it says in, in the Bible that with joy you will draw from the, or you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Well, salvation is all of the things that are the benefits 
It's, yes, saved from hell, but we also receive all of the, the things that we preach about, the, the provision and the wholeness, the restoration, the health. Every, that's what sozo, salvation, means in the original language. So all of these things that are availab available to me, think of it as a, a well. At my grandma's, she has a well. They still get water from the well. You, you lower this bucket down so far until you hear it, blah, blah, and you know it's filled up, and then you pull it back up. There's no other way to get the water. You've got to do it that way from the wells of salvation. How? With the bucket of joy. Because God doesn't operate through depression. God doesn't say, you know what, they're really having a hard time. As compassionate as God is, he can't go outside of his laws. He wouldn't let Aaron's uh, sons be, or he wouldn't let Aaron and, and the others have the time of mourning when Aaron's sons died. As long as you're in my presence, you cannot mourn. Can you imagine that your children just died from the hand of God and you can't, you can't mourn, you can't cry, you can't grieve? But that's how seriously God takes it because there's nothing but joy in his presence. So in order to get the things from his presence, guess what? You got to choose joy. You got to choose joy. Many times we're saying, God, help me. It's such a bad day. I just don't know what I'm going to do. And this happened and this happened. And I don't know. And I'm just, I'm just going to wait for your peace and for your, for your joy to hit me. But it's a, it's a choice. You know what? I choose joy. I am going to walk in joy. That's why you hear Pastor Brad say sometimes that I'll just put something on just to make me laugh sometimes. Why? Because I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to sit there and, and stay in a state of dealing with something in my mind, and it's trying to pull me into a mode of depression. So I choose joy. I'll get in the word, and I will find scriptures around that thing. If it's a certain issue, it might have just been, you know, this has just been one of those days, you know. But sometimes it might be a situation that's affecting you. Well, then I better get in the word. And as I'm beginning to proclaim the word, then that situation is getting filled up with the word. That's why I say, yes, it can be hard. Because your feelings want to bring you into a place of, man, this feel, it feels so much better to sit here and feel sorry for myself. So is this a bit of a hard message? I'm not meaning for it to be. A, it's truth, though. It's truth. Because it's not that I'm being uncompassionate because I've been there, too, and I understand. There's a time for mourning, but then there's a time for joy. You know, and, and yes, you have those times but at the same time, even in the time of mourning, our joy and our hope is in Christ still. And it's like you still don't even have the same perspective that the world has, even if something falls flat. Even if something doesn't go the way you wanted it to go. Our perspective is different because I still have joy because I know my God has got something else for me. So I choose joy. I choose to laugh. I choose to have a, a, a happy face. I mean, how do you guys think it would be if, if your pastors came down, you know, every week and, and it was just dependent upon, you know, what kind of mood they were in that day. And, you know, oh, they're in a bad mood. Kind of steer clear of them. Or, oh, they look really depressed today. That's not the example that we set. You know, even, 
even when we come in, this is a house of joy. This is a house of peace. And when people come in, we want them to feel that. Why? Because they deal with enough the way it is, and stuff needs broken off of their life. And so we're the representation of Christ to give that to them. It doesn't matter what I'm dealing with before service. I come through the doors, and I'm happy because I choose it. I choose it. We choose to walk in joy. Does it mean that life is perfect? No, but I choose joy. Do we as a family have to have discussions sometimes? Yes, we do. There are times when, when we have discussions where we have to talk things out. And, and it can be a, a, you know, whatever. We're all real honest with each other. <laughs> but in the end, we love each other, it's resolved, and it's done. And we move on in peace, and we move on with joy. It's a choice. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Let me just read a couple things to you, and I'll, I'll close this out. The blessing of finances... If you want the blessing of finances in your life, it will require the obedience of giving and the changing from a mindset of poverty to a mindset of provision. Because, see, this is the thing. Sometimes people want the finances. Sometimes people, hallelujah, I want the blessing. God, give me the blessing, give me the blessing, give me the blessing. That's another thing I, I, I'm very careful about praying for. If somebody comes up, well, I, I, I need this, I need that, I need this kind of provision. Some things I will pray for, but, but then there are times when I have to ask, are you, are you tithing? Because if not, then you're keeping yourself in a system of poverty. And if you aren't trusting God with that part of your life, then there's, there's an issue there that you need to deal with. Because if you don't believe that he's going to be your provider, then you just called him a liar. So the, it's going gotta, it's gotta to require something. It's not just, okay, honey, here you go. You, you asked for more stuff. Here's more stuff. No, it, it requires a change in us. It requires a different mindset. The testimony of peace will require you to refuse worry, anxiety, depression, and fear from gaining entrance into your life. I'm not saying into your mind because the enemy will try to plant things in your mind, but that's where I'm saying it should stop. It should never get to your heart. Somebody asked me the question the other day, well, you know, doesn't everybody fear? I said everybody has has the potential to. Everybody has the opportunity to. And that person's just kind of looking at me like, uh, yeah, right, like you don't fear. And I said, I refuse it. You got to recognize it. I refuse it. Because as soon as it comes in and you know, because you get to know the, the voice of the enemy very easily, <laughs> especially around things of fear, because he says, you can't do that. You should be afraid of that. You remember that, that, situation you remember this you remember that you'll never be you'll never all of these negative things and bombarding things that grip you like <gasps> it's fear and so you got to refuse it you you're not allowed here i refuse fear well you may get sick i refuse fear you are not allowed into my mind get out just because something comes into your mind doesn't mean you've failed understand that the enemy can come and and 
run his mouth. But it's what you do with it that's what matters. If you entertain it and you allow it to stay and then it's getting into your heart, it's planting seeds. Anything you plant in your heart will grow root and bear fruit. So if you plant, let's say the scripture, anyone that leaves houses, homes, mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters for my sake will gain in this lifetime, in this lifetime and the next houses, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. If you plant that in your heart, then what are you going to have? You're going to have, if, you, if you've given everything to God and said, it's, it's all yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do where you want me to do or do what you want me to do. It's yours. And you do that, then you can expect that scripture to come to pass for your life. You can expect people to come into your life. Whether, whether your family is still living or not, he will bring you mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, when we left and went to Hana and gave up what, what was our family, we gained a family. We gained precious family by people that we met there and got to know and got to minister to, and they became family to us. God will give you the things that you give up for him, and your trust has to be in that, not in the fear of what the enemy is saying. You cannot walk out healing if you would rather hold on to the convenience of feeling sorry for self or the sympathy that it brings or people doing for you. Some people would rather keep, stay in their position because they like someone doing everything for them. And even though they might say, I want my healing, but if they would rather that person keep waiting on them, I don't really want to exert, I don't want to try. I don't want to, I don't want to exert this because then I'm going to lose that. Per I've seen people actually manipulate family members or children in their home when they are capable of doing something, but they will refuse to move because they don't want their kid to move out. They don't want their kid to leave. They're afraid uh, that their child will move away or whatever. It's manipulation. It's control. And many times, if the child doesn't realize it, then they'll stay there forever. And it holds them in bondage. Here's another one. This one's big, because I had to do this too. If you want your husband to lead spiritually, then you have to relinquish control and encourage that. Because I was raised up understanding the Bible more. It was easy for me to say, no, that's not the right way to pray. That's not the right way to do devotions. That's not the right way. You did this, you did that. And I had to stop. Because if I was going to, because ladies, I, that's one of the things that we want in our home, right? We want husbands to be the spiritual leaders, and we want them to step up. But you got to realize, if you want them to hold that position, you got to give them grace and let them work that out. Because if not, they'll just run from that position, and, and it'll cause a, a hard heart of pride. Because who wants to lead and get beat up for leading all the time? So that was something I also had to learn. And I had to, if I want this, then I, I got to let go of this. Are these things making sense? Okay.
All right, so I already said acknowledge it. I already said kick it out. You've got to kick it out. You've got to refuse it. It can't be an option. You can't give it a blanket and a pillow and, and say just stay here and just, you know, for my, for my um, moments when I need you, you've got to see it as the enemy. Here's the other thing. You've got to admit it verbally to the person that's involved preferably. I would say, I would say 85 to 90% of the time. Because if, it, if you don't expose it and say, listen, I, I'm, I, had a pro I have a problem uh, in this area, but I'm tired of it. I don't want it anymore. I'm releasing this in my life, and I want to begin to operate here. And I want to begin to have this in my life instead. If you don't do that, then it's always going to be that bait or that little thing that the enemy allows you to run back to for that moment when you want it, for that defense mechanism, for that comfort mechanism, for that sympathy, for whatever, because nobody knows about it, right? So he's not going to know that I'm trying to work through this, so it's a lot easier for me to just go ahead and whip that thing back out again and use it, and then I'll just repent later. <laughs> but if you've exposed it and you get vulnerable and humble and you admit it and say I'm, I'm, I'm really going to work through this and I really want you to help me if you can help me with this I'd appreciate it and then the other person's got to learn to have grace too because you, you're doing that thing again you said you, you can't act like that guys have some grace After all of those things, verbally admit it, expose it so it doesn't have a, a hook in your life. And then fourth step, repeat. Why do I say that? Because the enemy, just because you kicked him out day one and yes, was victorious and I did it, I did it today. I operated in joy. I operated in peace. I operated in love when that person was so unloving. I operated in, you know, whatever fruit of the spirit. I operated in self-control and discipline. But then guess what? He comes again the next day, knocking at your door because he's going to say, do you really mean it? You really give that up? So you got to put it on repeat. You got to realize you got to continue to pull this thing out time and time again. Because just because you do it once doesn't mean he's going to say, well, you know what? She was victorious. Guys, just back off of him. Uh, don't, don't bother him anymore. That's not how the enemy works. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's not going to lay off. But once he realizes you mean business and, and you're casting down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and you keep doing that and you keep doing that, it becomes easier and easier and you gain a victory over that thing in your life. Hallelujah. I hope that helped this evening because I really feel like that's a, a very key thing in our lives with finding peace, security, health, dominion in any area of our life because it, it sometimes we can get so spiritual where we're just throwing everything back on God all the time. God, here, fix this. Fix this, God. Change me, God. And then we don't put any, any effort at all into it. And we're just thinking, we're just waiting on God. I'm waiting on God to fix my heart. 
you know, fix my issues, and, and we're not working on it. And, and I will say this, if it's requiring you to, to, to uh, go and apologize to somebody, then do it. Because that is also a mode of healing, not only for you, but also for them. So it's, if you are feeling that in your spirit, where the Holy Spirit keeps telling you, you need to go talk to them, you need to go talk to them, you need to go deal with this, He's telling you that because you need it for your own healing as well. And that person may be hung up on something as well because they've never had an apology from you. And so they're having a hard time moving forward because they're not seeing your heart. As far as they know, you're still, you're still feeling that way towards them. So apologies are necessary for our healing. It's not just about, well, you know, Jesus saw and I said I was sorry and his grace covers it. Grace is not an excuse to run from responsibility. Think about that. It, it's just like an employee. If you, if you work for somebody and you do something wrong and it's a bad representation on the business and then people are looking at you going, they're a Christian? They're a Christian? because of what you're representing? When you make restitution, then you're making things right. And we need to make things right with people. Because it's not that that, that thing just offended God, it also offended a person. So it's not, just, it's not just enough many times to just say, God, I'm sorry, can you forgive me of the sin? Because honestly, that's the easy way out. It's, it's easy to just keep it between you and the Lord and you know, in my quiet prayer my prayer closet, and we dealt with it. Me and God, we dealt with it. It's good. <laughs> but you may need to go to a person, and you may need to expose, I'm sorry for doing this. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I want to make it right. I'm going to try to work on this from now on. Amen? All right. Let's go ahead and, and pray. Father, we pray tonight over our, our hearts, our lives, the, the things that we have even written down for this year, even as, as we are pressing on this year, as the word from doctor has been given, pressing on, that also means pressing on in our growth personally. And Father, we don't want anything holding us back from the things that, that we're believing for. So I ask you tonight that you show us. Show us if we need to uh, expose something to someone and, and let them in and, and be vulnerable and be humble, Father, that we would be, that we would be uh, men and women of God, that we would choose the right path to follow, that we wouldn't shrug these things off and, and not be responsible for what you have called us to be, but we will own up to things. And, Father, that that is an actual mark of maturity and in true uh, following you and in your footsteps. For, Father, you forgave us. Christ, he, he took a, a debt that wasn't his to pay. So, Father, we owe it to others to take responsibility for what we're doing and the things that we need to fix in our life. So, Father, we pray for a grace and a power to do this. Give us 
I pray the, the understanding as we choose to walk these things out with a humble heart that we will know and understand that we are moving into victory. We're not, we're not uh, getting, getting a, worse, a worse thing for it, but, Father, we're moving into victorious places and higher places. I thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.